what's so funny, right? I, I do a ton of premarital counseling, love doing that. And everybody does. They want the day to be great, right? I mean, that's the last thing you want is anything like that happening on that day. But there is a greater hope. There is a greater hope that not just the day is going to be great. But here's what I know about every couple that stands in front of me when I get to marry them. Every couple has hope on the wedding day that this is going to be awesome. You guys remember that day? <laughs> I mean, when you stood there, right, with it, and you're saying, all of us who are married, you were doing this because you had this great hope and this belief that not only was the day going to be great, but that the marriage actually was going to be great. And yes, there are some epic fails <laughs> on wedding days. Uh, the ones I love, they're actually fun stories, right? But what we want to talk about today is not just the day. We want to talk about the marriage. And here's the deal. Tim Keller says this, getting to know and love your spouse is the most painful and difficult and yet the most rewarding and wonderful adventure. It really is. And for all of us who married, we know that. It's like getting together with your spouse and I say this with every couple and all the premarital, I say it at every wedding. You have these grand expectations, but you better know that you need to, you're going to have to tepid those down. <laughs> because once you actually get connected with another flawed human being and they get connected to your flaws, nothing is the way that you thought it was going to be. It is painful to get connected that intimately with another human being. And it's amazing. Both. And I remember, like, for, for Susie, I'm, I'm a, I feel things pretty deeply as a person. And, and when you do, right, that means my highs are usually higher than the normal person's highs. But that means my lows are usually lower than the normal person's lows. And I didn't get married till I was 34, you know. And I, I had kind of learned in 34 years how to handle my lows. I knew how to just shut the world out. I used to do that even as a teenager. I'd just come home some days and go, Mom and Dad, I'm going to my room. I'm shutting the door. Don't even talk to me. <laughs> And then I'd hole up and then I'd come out, right, the next day and I'd be okay. And then I thought, oh my God, I, I, I'm married. What am I going to do? She's here with me now. <laughs> like, where am I going to hole up? Where am I going to hide? How am I going to get away? You know? So I had my own issues. And then when I married Susie, man, she was a super strong person, big leader. She had just accepted this role to be the regional director over the whole Northwest of the United States for a ministry called Campus Crusade. She was a rock climber, right? I mean, she was even physically strong. And she's as amazing as you guys who know her. She's an amazing people person, just pours herself out. I'm so attracted to this. And we get married. And right after we get married, she slips into depression. And in that depression, she could not be who she always had been. And so all of a sudden, right, what do you do? You're this new married guy. You're super excited for, your, for this new life together. And all of a sudden, the person you married isn't there. And I remember all Susie wanted to do was sleep. I'm like, I don't like to lay around. <laughs> right, let's go do stuff. We got to do that. But she was depressed. And then the other part that's important to me is relationship and family. And we used to get together with my family, and we're having fun. And I go, where's Susie? And I'd look around, and she'd be in the other room, sleep on a couch. I'm like, well, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> This is not the woman that I married. What do you do? How do you, and here's what we're going to talk about today. How do you get through the pain and through the struggle of being connected to another flawed human being? How do you get through that to the glory and to the wonder 
Because I'm telling you, after 19 years, I told you last we just celebrated after 19 years, it's the absolute greatest gift outside of Jesus to me on this planet. That's where we're going to go today. So today I'm going to get super practical again, okay? But before I get to the practical stuff, there's something we have to understand. There is a core understanding of what marriage is that we have to get to before we can get to the practical stuff, okay? So when I do premarital counseling with everybody, what do we talk about? You have to talk about the things that destroy marriages. And we all know what those are. It's obvious. Money is one of the top destroyers of marriage. And so when you do premarital, you got to talk about money. You got to talk about how you're going to handle finances. You got to talk about how you're going to do a budget because it ruins marriages. You have to talk about the sexual relationship because that ruins marriages. You have to talk about your, your relationship with your in-laws. Yeah, you really do. And that's the first one that got a chuckle. You guys know that, huh? But you really do because there's an issue of leaving. And sometimes parents don't want you to leave and they get caught in the mix. And, and then all of us are bringing... So anyway, you've got to talk about all that practical stuff. And we do. But a few years ago, I just realized this. But the couples that come in and talk to me years after being married, yes, there's struggle with money, there's struggle, whatever. You, you have struggles. We all do. But what I realize is most of the people who are getting ready to say, okay, I, the separation's happening, we're getting ready to bag this thing. As I sit and listen, I go, you know what? I don't know if you ever really understood what happened. What happened to you on the day you got married? And I don't think most of us actually understand this deep, profound reality that God has revealed to us of what happens when two people get married, all right? So we're going to talk about that first, and then out of that, we'll talk about the practical stuff, all right, for our marriages. Now, let me just say this again. This is really true. So all of you who are married right now, if you're sitting next to your spouse, grab their hand, okay? I'm going to pray for us. I want you to grab the hand of your spouse. If you're dating someone and you're thinking, okay, this could be the person, (laughs) grab their hand, okay? Grab their hand. Now, because I, I, this is definitely going to be for all of you, but let me just tell you this, and, and Derek did a great job. I'm just going to say it again. Again, I didn't get married until I was 34, and the church I was on staff with that whole time gave like five or six marriage messages a year. It was a huge commitment to them. And I want to tell you, there is nothing that was more beneficial for me as a single guy than to get tools just in my belt to be able to have a clue of what it meant before I ever married a wife I actually knew what it meant to be a husband before then. So if you're single, then listen to this. And by the way, and if you're single, if you're, if let's say if you're divorced, you're older and you're going, I'm never doing that again, <laughs> okay? If that's you and you're like, okay, great, here I am at a marriage message. Listen, these principles that I'm gonna talk to you today are how we have good relationships in general. I just wanna tell you there's nothing that's not gonna be helpful for every one of us in this room, all right? So, If you're married, you're sitting next to somebody, grab each other's hands and let me pray for you before we dive in. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for this revelation. Thanks for this truth. Thanks for every person who's here today. I first want to lift up every marriage and I ask, God, because you know, you know even better than they do, the intimacies, the quandaries, the struggles, the realities of their marriage. And God, I pray Would you just be gracious today to speak to every couple today and give them amazing hope for marriage? And Lord, for all of us, I just ask that we would understand this beautiful mystery, this beautiful mystery 
of oneness, of unity, that's in your very nature as God, and that's in your creation for us to experience. So Lord, may you do more than we came to even expect you to do today. And I ask for it in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So the first thing I'm going to talk about here today is this, the profound unity of marriage. Now, in, in, in Ephesians, by the way, if you're new, uh, if you haven't been coming, we're actually going through a book called Ephesians. It's a book in the Bible. It's actually a letter. Um, Paul, one of the apostles, actually wrote this to a church in the, in the city of Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians, okay? And, but what we're finding is that there's a theme all the way through this letter that has revealed the very heart and the purpose of God. And it's unity, okay? Now, I'm not even gonna get into this, but the very, one of the beautiful things about the mystery of the Christian God, of the God that Jesus Christ revealed, because he said, I came, he goes, listen, I came from another place. And the reason I came was to testify to the truth. He goes, I'm gonna tell you spiritual realities that your limited human mind is gonna struggle to believe. And one of the spiritual realities is that God, in his essence, as God, is relational. He is oneness in his being, okay? So, in the book of Ephesians, then he goes, because that's my nature, he goes, I'm gonna tell you this. In Ephesians 1, 9, and 10, it says this. God has revealed the mystery of his will purposed in Christ. Okay? So we're here, right? Because of Jesus. That's, we're all, you're all at church. And the reason we're here is because we, we really do believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he came to reveal to us what is true. And God says, and I'm revealing to you, the whole purpose of bringing Jesus down here was because I want to unite everything. Yes. I want to unite everything in heaven and on earth in Christ. So that's what he wants to do. So then he goes on and he says, so here's the mystery. Again, he uses this word mystery all the time. The mystery is that Christ can actually be inside you. This is a spiritual, deep reality. But here's what God's saying. You can live apart from me or you can actually have your spirit filled with my spirit. Jesus Christ literally can come inside of you. So the first thing that happens is we get united to God. And then he says, the next mystery, he says, is that I take groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles, who can't stand each other, who are completely hostile towards one another, and he goes, and I'm making them a new humanity. I'm taking two people and I'm making them one. I'm unifying them. You know how? Because he goes, because Jesus, if God is unity in his very nature, then when Jesus gets inside of you, he always is working to bring you together. That's what he does. And then we get to chapter five where we are today, and God goes, okay, I wanna unite everything in heaven and earth, I wanna unite the Jews and the Gentiles, I wanna unite the church, and then today he goes, but I'm talking about marriage. And he goes, and this is a profound mystery. It's a profound mystery. And here's what I want to tell you guys, if you're married or if you're thinking about getting married, God takes two people and he unites them, okay? And this is your rest. So if you're married today, you need to know that right now, God has knit you together. So let's look at this, three quick things that show us this. And let, actually, and so let me just say this. So what we're going to do is we're going to get in the mind of God. We're going we're gonna, to, the Bible actually reveals to us God's thoughts, his mind. So imagine God, and he's thinking about, 
I am one and I'm all about unity, so I'm gonna create men and women and I'm gonna bring them together to show what I'm actually like. Okay, so here's the first thing you need to understand about marriage and the profound unity of marriage. Number one, you are united as one flesh. You are united as one flesh. Ephesians 5, 31, 32 says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Now, here's what's interesting. That word united there, it's actually the word to glue something together. (laughs) Take two things, glue them together, or cement them together. There's actually a different word for nailing something together, right? Because if you take two boards and you nail them together, you can pull out the nail and separate them. (laughs) But when you glue or cement two things together, they are stuck together. Now, here's the interesting thing here. He says the two will become one flesh. In other words, there is somehow a physical union that takes place between two people. And here's what, this was God's idea. This is so fantastic. He goes, I'm going to create this marriage then. And I'm going to bring two people together. Now, part of God's beautiful design was sex. By the way, if anybody didn't know, this was his idea. So it's a good thing. Amen? Yeah. All right. So, but here was his idea. He's like, so I'm going to make you one flesh. So his whole plan was to take two people and say, okay, this sex thing is only going to happen between two people who make a covenant between me. And we all now, you know, in 2018, we're going, that is the stupidest idea. You should be free, man, to do whatever you want and have sex whenever you want with whoever you want. But the Bible tells us that God had this great idea because he's going to take two people and make them one flesh. Now, this is so interesting, this gift from God. In 1 Corinthians 6.16, it says this. Do you not know that he who unites himself, joins himself with a prostitute, is one with her in body? Because it'll be said, because it has been said, that the two shall become one flesh. So again, what, what, the, what the Bible is teaching us is that when you have sexual relations with another person, somehow you become one in body. You guys, you know it's so exciting? Science is showing that this is true. Now, I say this a lot here. I love when scientists study the physical realities of creation because they keep revealing things that the Bible has actually been telling us. God has been saying for 2,000 years, when you have sex, you physically get joined to the other person, okay? Well, how is science showing this? Do you know this? Studies are showing today that when a man and a woman have intercourse, that the man's DNA actually gets embedded inside the woman. So a man's DNA actually gets inside a woman. Now, and I won't ask you this, but you know what's crazy? is there is a high percentage of people that the first time they get pregnant, they have a miscarriage. That was Susie and me. The first pregnancy we had, we had a miscarriage. What they're discovering is that is because the woman's body rejects this new cell from a man coming in, because this is my body, and the guy comes in with that cell, and many times it's a rejection because it's an outside influence. 
But when you are married and you continue to have sex, what they're discovering is the man's DNA, his cells actually embed within a woman and his DNA starts to come inside. So guess what happens? Now, when you have sex, the pregnancy has a better chance of sustaining. Isn't that fantastic? That's what they're studying. They're still studying this, okay? But what they know is that is a reality and they're trying to figure out. You actually become one flesh. Here's the other thing we know. When you have sexual relations with a person, dopamine, right, gets just embedded in your brain. That beautiful chemical that's absolute pleasure. But that dopamine is the same thing that happens when you get addicted to drugs or you get addicted to gambling. It's an addictive thing because it's so pleasurable. See, so what God was saying is, I'm going to create sex and it's going to be so pleasurable that it's going to cause you to be addicted to your wife, addicted to your husband. I'm actually giving you dopamine because you're going to want more. And what are you going to want more of? Your spouse. See how he's doing that? So then, not only dopamine, he gives us oxytocin. And scientists call oxytocin the cuddle hormone. You know why? Because it's released during sex and it is scientifically proven to strengthen social bonding. Okay, so enough on that. By the way, I'm going to do a whole message just on sex later this fall, so i got to move on to my points. <laughs> it's a great topic, though. Love it. Um, but, but here's what you need to know. God is saying, listen, when people, here's my plan. I'm going to bring two people together and sex in God's mind was never intended to be experienced with anyone except your spouse because it binds you together it makes you one flesh all right second point is that god has joined you together matthew 19 4 and 6 here's jesus he says haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and he said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, now look at this, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So, the first thing we understand is that even in 1 Corinthians 6, it says, if a man unites himself with a prostitute, he's one in body with him. So, physically, that's what you do when you unite yourself with a person through sex. But in marriage... This is, this, is, this is a mystery. In marriage, it says that God actually joins you together spiritually. And I want to tell you, every time I'm marrying someone and they're standing before me, I think about this every wedding. And I go, oh my goodness, somehow in this moment, not a human being, because anybody can unite themselves physically with another person. But when you get married, God joins you together. I can't explain that, but that's what the Bible tells us. There is a deep spiritual reality that you need to understand. And that's why when we make our vows, when you make your vows, it is until death. Because we're going to fight to keep what God has done. Let no one separate. The very essence of God and the beauty of what he does in this world is to unite everything. And marriage is one of his pictures of how that gets done. And why is this such a big deal? Third thing is this, because your union in marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. 
See, this one gets crazy cool. Ephesians 5.32, this is a profound mystery. And then Paul says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. What? I thought you were talking about marriage and bringing us together. He goes, I am. But your marriage is a picture of what happens with Christ and anyone, the church, is just people who've actually received Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, okay? So 6, 16 was when a man unites himself with a prostitute. He becomes one in body with him. The very next verse says this, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So can I just say something? So if you're not a Christian here today, and if you've come in and you're checking this thing out, you're wondering, you came with a friend or whatever, can I just tell you, this is why I love what Jesus has revealed to us and what the body has revealed to us. There is a deep spiritual reality. And Christianity is not a religion of trying to be a good person so that God will like you enough to get you into heaven. Christianity is a receiving of his spirit. And when you do, your spirit becomes one with Christ. And I want to tell you, he, what Jesus called that, he goes, when you receive me, he goes, you are born of my spirit. Here's the coolest thing, right? When Susie and I got together as husband and wife, and then we come together in a sexual union, what happens? One cell from me and one cell from her creates a new creation. My daughter Mariah and Ashlyn and my son Caleb. And you know what's cool? One from me, one from Susie, but you can't separate them. They are who they are forever. And what Jesus is saying is, listen to me, when you receive me, my spirit gets united with your spirit. How long? Forever. And then he said, and that is what marriage is supposed to be. He goes, because my love, I'm never going to stop loving you. Because I don't love you because you're good and stop loving you because you're bad. If you receive me, I'm with you and I will love you forever, ever. And so marriage was God's idea to say, okay, so here's cool. So now we're going to have a covenant that you're going to make between you and me. We'll get to that in a second. Of a relationship that's not based on feelings. It's not based on how happy you make me. It's based on a commitment that you made to the other person and to God until death do you part. I'm going to love you the way Jesus loved me, and that is forever. So here's what's cool, man. That is what I don't think most of us ever think about, but here's what you need to know. If you're married today, the, one of the greatest hopes for you is you are united by God. You are, and you're one in flesh with each other. Because God wants to show through you and your spouse the beauty of his love to the rest of the world. Do you guys understand that? Your marriage, my marriage to Susie, is not just about us living and having a fulfilled, satisfied life. It happens, but really our marriage is supposed to show the rest of the world there is a love that will never end. All right, man, it's so good. Now, so here's the point. So that's what, that's the first thing. There is a deep, spiritual, wonderful, profound reality of unity that's in marriage. Now here's the hope though. Now let's get practical. So if we have that already, then why are we not experiencing it, <laughs> right? So now let's talk about it. Let's get practical. How can you and I, if you're married or if you're not married and you're thinking about, how can you prepare yourself to be an incredible husband and an incredible wife? How can we do this together, okay? Here's the hope right here. The hope 
of keeping unified in marriage is Christ in you. It's Christ in you. And we're going to get to this. Why? Because Jesus is a love. He is love. And what God says, if you receive me, I'm going to, I'm going to pour. Romans 5, 5 says this. He goes, I will pour my love into your heart through the Holy Spirit. And so, see, when you, and so if you're not a Christian, this would be one of my greatest reasons. It's such an amazing experience to realize, like, you could actually have a source outside of your own effort to be a good husband or good wife. You could actually have the love of God inside of you. And if Christ is in you, if your spirit is united with Christ, so all you Christians in here, come on, man, you have everything. I have everything I need to be a killer husband. And it's not because Dave Nelson is anything. I'm selfish at the core. But Jesus is selfless at the core, and he's in me. That's your hope, to have a rocking marriage, okay? So let's look at it right now. How can you experience the unity of marriage? So at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, he says this. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, okay? So he goes, therefore, if you are a child of God, born of my spirit, then imitate me, he says. Imitate God as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Now here, right? I, every one of you who got married, any wedding you ever go to, it's all about love, right? That's why I'm doing that. I love this guy. I love this girl. Okay, then walk in the way of love. Well, what's that? Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. All right? So how do you experience the unity of marriage? Number one, give yourself up. Give yourself up for your spouse. Can I just say, you guys, if Christ is in you, if you're a Christian, if you really are, not if you're religious, not if you go to church, if Jesus Christ is in you, guess what he's doing all the time inside of you? He's empowering you to give yourself up because that's what he does because that's what love is. That's Christianity. So you give yourself up. And I just want to say, man, this is the key. Like if people come to me every once in a while, you know, I'll get asked like, man, David, if you could just tell me one thing, what's one thing to the key to marriage? This is just it. Give yourself up for the other person. And all of us who are married, you know this, every day, over and over and over again, you are given a crossroads <laughs> and you have a chance to make a decision. And the decision is who gets to be happy and who's going to give in. Can I, amen, right? All of you who are married. That's just, it just happens over again. Who gets to be happy and who's going to give in? And in that moment, you have three options, okay, when you're at that crossroads. This is going to happen today. I know what's going to happen to me today. I'm going to go home. I'm going to be dead dog tired. And then what's going to happen? My kids and my wife are going to demand something from me. <laughs> so what do you got? Here's your first option. Lay yourself down. Give yourself up. Just kill yourself for the other person and do it because you love them and do it joyfully. That's the first one. Here's your section op second option. Do it with coldness and resentment. <laughs> I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it like this. <laughs> and the whole reason you're doing that, right, is so that hopefully they'll feel bad, so they'll turn around and they'll do it. So you're doing it, but you're really doing it for yourself. Anyway, so that's your second option. Go ahead and try that one. Or your third option is simply to go, you know what? You know what? I'm going to let myself reign, and I'm going to insist on my own way. Those are your options. You can give yourself up with joy, give yourself up with resentment, or just be about yourself and don't give yourself up. And I want to tell you, man, this is not a feeling. 
It, I, whoever feels like giving yourself up? You don't. So we get into marriage, right? And we think it's all going to be about these feelings. I'm so in love with you. And all of us who are married go, yeah, just, just wait. <laughs> just wait. And then when the feeling goes, what are you going to do? If Jesus is in you, you're going to give yourself up. And I want to tell you guys, this is the beauty of marriage. Because if I am seeking to go home today and give myself up for Susie, but when I get home, she's sitting there going, I can't wait till Dave gets home so I can give myself up for him. Come on! That's good. And that keeps you unified. So if you want to get keep, if you want to stay unified, it's just that simple. Give yourself up for your spouse. Now you are going to need a power to do that. So here's the second thing, okay, to keep unity in your marriage. Number two, love your spouse as worship to God. Love your spouse as worship to God. Like, and I, I want to tell you, the first time I ever said this to my staff a few years ago, I remember I just told them this. It hit me a few years ago. Because marriage is actually all about worship. And usually when I'll say that, people are like, what do you mean marriage is about worship? Okay, well, look at what Jesus said. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to imitate God and live a life of love just as Christ did. Well, how did he do that? It says that he loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So somehow when Jesus was making the decision to go on the cross and give himself up for us, he was doing it out of worship, out of love for God. And he found motivation and he found strength and he found power to love us because he was focused here. So, and I, and I know you guys who've been around for a long time have heard this, but I only have one story, okay? So this is my story. And, uh, but, this, but this was a profound moment for me. Because when I first met Susie, right? All of you guys, when you first, and you guys who are dating right now, what are you doing? You're checking each other out, right? You have a list, man. These are the things that are important to me, and I'm trying to figure out if this person is going to be that, because if I get married, I want them to make me happy, right? I want this thing to work. So I was in Montana, and I'd spent a week with Susie, and I'm like, okay, is she someone who I could marry, right? That's what I'm doing. And I'm totally evaluating her. What was interesting, and you, well, don't laugh at me. You guys do the same thing. <laughs> we all do that, and you should, actually. Because you do need to determine, is this someone I can unite my life with, right? So, but I knew after a few days, at the core, Susie was everything that I needed. I don't know if she was everything I wanted, but I knew she was everything that I needed. The core things for me, I knew she was. So I was out taking a long walk one night, just praying to God about this. And this was one of those rare moments. God just stopped me in my tracks. And I, here's what I heard him say to me. David, this is my daughter. And I love her. And I'm choosing you to be the man that I get to love her through. Okay. You know what I, I literally just fell on the ground. Because guess what? The evaluation was over. Because it wasn't about, is Susie right for me? It was like, are you going to love her? And here's what I realized, and I love it because Susie's normally sitting right there for service. But here's what I realized. If there's ever a day where I choose not to love her, not to give myself up for her, 
I'm not only saying no to my wife. I'm saying no to God. Listen to me. When you don't feel it, when your spouse is bugging you because their differences and they're real, right? We all know this. It is the most difficult and painful thing till you get that close to another human being because they're not you. (laughs) When that happens, then you need a power. And I want to tell you right now, in that moment, if you believe that God, actually, when you stood there and you made a covenant to your spouse at the, at the wedding, right? You made a covenant. And what's a covenant? You didn't stand before everybody and just say, hey, I'll love you as long as you stay pretty and as long as you cook good and as long as you're nice and as long as you're not here. No. You said, I'm making a covenant before God and before everybody else and to you that I'm going to love you. God, I will love your daughter. God, I will love your son. How long did we all say? Until death do you part. So the strength for Jesus was, now here's what's great about Jesus, right? So he knows God's saying, you gotta go to the cross. And Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane. And what's he do in that garden? I don't wanna do this. (laughs) Okay, how many of you who are married Uh, maybe on a daily basis are going, I don't want to do this. I don't want to give myself up. I don't want to sacrifice my interests. I don't want to do, I I don't want to. And then what did Jesus say? What did he say? But not my will be done, but yours be done. He gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Hey, can I just tell you one of the coolest things? That Jesus will unite his spirit with yours. And that's where you get the power to be able to say yes to giving yourself up to your spouse. Your flesh is never going to want to do it. But Jesus is going to want to do it every time. And so your worship, in that moment, you say, I'm going to love my wife. Even if I don't want to, I'm going to do it as an offering and a sacrifice to you, God. And I tell you what, if you live like that, you want to keep your unity that Jesus has put, he's put you, made you one, if you want to stay together, then you worship him. You love your spouse as worship to God. All right? So that's your second one. Here's a, now, and here's what was crazy to me. So, so we get to that, and it's like, okay. So that's what we're supposed to do. Give myself up. And love you as a sacrifice to God. And then the very next thing he says, super practical. We'll go through this quickly. Look at this, Ephesians 5. He says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So here's basically what he's saying in these verses. Again, if you receive Christ, he goes, then Christ is going to transform you. You are, and this is, again, for all of you who aren't married, you can already start doing this with every person you know and start developing this practice of giving yourself up for others, of of, of treating people well out of sacrifice to God. This isn't, you don't only do this for your spouse. This is actually how you're supposed to treat everybody, okay? And so then he says these three things. So let's look at the first one. If you're going to keep your marriage together, okay, what do you got to do? Number three, stay pure sexually. You got to stay pure sexually. 
There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity because it is improper for God's holy people. You guys, if you were here last week, what did he say? Make sure that you live a life worthy of the calling you've received. He called you to himself. Follow me. Okay, I got to live a life worthy of that, that matches that. That's what it means to be God's holy people. Now, why? Why in the world do we have to be sexually pure? Because marriage, again, is all about unity and oneness. You know what the word impure means? It literally means mixed with a foreign matter. So instead of being one, what you do when you get involved sexually is you bring other things inside. So the word sexual immorality literally means anything outside of marriage, sexually. The Greek word is porneo. Hmm, wonder what that leads to. Okay, because what does pornography do? Both men and women now, totally involved in this. What happens? You get thoughts and pictures and images now inside your brain that aren't your spouse, that compare yourself to the spouse, and it gets impure in there. And then what happens? Instead of being one and united, it actually starts to divide because you can't be like that. You don't look like that. You don't do that. And now all of a sudden, it totally affects your marriage. We got to fight that, you guys. Make every effort to not do that. Now, obviously, adultery is, I think we get that one. (laughs) right? But now really quickly, can I just talk to you guys who are not married? Because when you're not married, man, in our culture, it's like sex before marriage. I don't know if I can almost, I can, I think I can count on one hand, the people who've actually stayed pure sexually for their spouse. Because in our culture, it's like, just go ahead and have sex. But the problem with that is this, is every time you have sex with someone, oxytocin, uh, uh, dopamine, sorry, you know, happens, you actually get connected, bonded with another person. And then what happens? You finally find the one person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, and it's your honeymoon. And you lie in bed with this person, and what happens? There's somebody else in your mind. You've got other experiences going on there. And God is going, no, no, no. And I guarantee you this, man, right? All of us who are married, once you finally found your spouse, don't you wish there was only one? You just wish there was only one. So listen, this is important. It is. So you got to avoid not even a hint of sexual immorality. Now, really quick, here's the other reason why to do that. Because it's what keeps you in tune with God. It's what keeps your spirit tight with him. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God wrath, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Now, let, let me just make this really clear. What is, what, what? If I'm involved in sexual immorality, I can't have any inheritance with the kingdom of God? What, what, do you, what, what in the world does that mean? Okay? The kingdom of God is this. Again, it's not a place. It's not a place. It's his rule. It's the presence. It's everything we sing in our worship. When the kingdom is present, it means there's a king. So Jesus comes in as the king. Well, because he's the king, guess what? Then his will is done. That's the kingdom of God. And God's will is what? That you should avoid sexual immorality. So as soon as you do that, then what's that mean? If you do that, then God's not the king. And then God's will doesn't get done. And you know what? God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. God's design of marriage and sex within marriage is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. 
And so if you get involved in sexual immorality, you don't get the inheritance of the kingdom of God, which means you don't get the experience of God's will being done, protecting your marriage. Make sense? All right, so avoid sexual immorality. Number four, keep your marriage together by don't covet. Do not covet. He just says there must not even be a hint of greed. Now, what is greed, or if you covet? It simply means a desire to have more. <laughs> so what does that mean? Because, and the reason we want more is why? Because we believe, but if I just had that, then I'd be happy. And so to want, you guys, is not bad. But wanting isn't bad, but coveting. See, to want something's okay. But when you get to the point that you covet it, what you're saying is, if I don't get this, I can't be satisfied. If I don't get this, I'll never experience happiness. So you become dissatisfied, unhappy, depressed, angry, and miserable. That's what greed does. Because you need it to actually make you fulfilled. And yes, so that's true about money, but this plays out in marriage. And I want to tell you right now, this is one of the biggest problems in marriage. Because after we get married, what happens? We go, you don't give me what I want. And what's coveting? I want more. Come on, man, we've all been there. I want more time with you. I want more help around the house. I want more sex. I want more intimacy. I want more fun. <laughs> now, I want to say, man, that is so different than love, right? Because what's love? Give yourself up for the other. <laughs> but covet is saying, I need you to give this to me. And if you don't give this to me, I can't be satisfied. You guys, you know what the Bible says? Covetousness is idolatry. It's idolatry. Why? Because what you're saying is, I need that to actually give me life. And so what happens is we look at our spouses and we go, I need you to give me more. I need more of this. I need more of that. And if you don't give it to me, then I'll go somewhere else and find it. So God says, you want to keep your marriage like this? Then don't covet. And I want to tell you, well, this is where you must, this is where developing a relationship with God is so important because God can fill you. He can fill you. He can satisfy you. He can let you know, I've got everything I need, so I don't need to get it from Susie. And then I can actually love her. All right? So don't covet. And here's the last one. Speak words that build up. He says, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And we kind of hit this last week, so I'll just be quick. No sarcasm, no putting each other down, no cutting remarks, especially in public, around other people. Ephesians 4, the chapter right before, said this, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for building others up according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. I love that. You guys, what is God saying? If you want to keep your marriage together, man, don't cut each other down. We talked about that last week. It just builds walls. It hurts, so we separate. But man, look at this. In the need of the moment, how do I build you up? And the first thing he said is, instead of cutting each other down, do Thanksgiving. This is great, man. Thanks for helping. Thanks for having dinner ready. Thanks for taking care of the yard. Thanks for providing. Thanks for choosing me. Thank you. When's the last time you just looked at your spouse and said, thank you? I, I want to encourage you, go home today and write down a list of everything you can be thankful that your spouse does and tell them. And those words will keep you together. Encourage each other. 
Say, I believe in you. I see this in you. You can do this. Here's another word, and it's right in the moment. I'm sorry. (laughs) Try that one. It's humble, and it values the other person above yourself. And say this. Say this. I'm with you. I am with you forever. No matter what. Forsaking all others. I'm with you. The same love that God has given me, I'm going to flow out to you. I'm with you. So the band's going to come on up, and we're going to end our service with just one final song. It's a great song. But here's why I would tell you guys, what's the key to this? What's the key? The key is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The key is Christ, Jesus, receiving him, having his spirit united with your spirit. Because I can tell you this, man, when you focus on Christ and you go, I can't believe that you love me. I have done so many things against you. I ran so far away from you. I didn't believe in you. I didn't even like you. I didn't want anything to do with you. And Jesus is like, I know. (laughs) But I sure wanted you. I tell you, when you focus and you finally realize I am loved by a God who doesn't love me because I'm good, he just loves me and he will forever. When you focus on the fact that Jesus and you are united forever with that type of love, then it can penetrate your being and you can go, why wouldn't I give that love to the most important person in my life? So what do we do? We go, Christ is in me. I believe that. I trust that. Jesus, come. I give you my life. I I do. I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. I'm going to follow you. Help me. Give me grace to, to always lay myself down and give myself up just like you did for me. And I'm going to do that as an offering and as worship to you. Because I want to see my marriage last. I want to see it last. I want to show the world that type of love. So we're going to take our offering while we do. Why? Because it's just how we love. Jesus gives himself up to us, gives himself to us. So what do we do? It's just one simple way that we can give back to him. So we love him. This is just, you just, I say this all the time. Man, you give, you resource what you love. So let's just do this. And so stand, let's all stand together. We'll take our financial offering at this time and we'll spend this last time. Let's, in this moment, connect your heart with the love of Christ and allow him to have sway over your life to give it to your spouse. Let's do it together.